Hi, folks, and thank you for downloading episode number four of the OldManTreasures.net conversation series. I am Joel Fry. I am going to be your host yet again for our interview series here on OldManTreasures.net. I don't want to waste too much time here with the intro because I do uh, want very badly for you to get to the interview itself. It is a career highlight of mine to have been able to speak with the great Simpsons writer Jay Kogan. Along with his writing partner Wally Wolodarski, Jay wrote such classic Simpsons episodes as Last Exit to Springfield. Um, he wrote Lisa the Greek, Bart the Daredevil, a uh, litany of other episodes that everyone uh, who loves classic Simpsons holds near and dear to their hearts. I also had the great pleasure on this episode to speak to David Anthony Higgins. David is a former Iowan, a native Iowan, who now lives out in L.A. He helped write uh, with Dave Foley and Jay Kogan the movie The Wrong Guy uh, back in the late 90s. They have a fun story about that on the podcast. He is best known as Craig from the show Malcolm in the Middle, which Jay wrote on uh, and wrote uh, three episodes to which he is credited for. So um, I look forward very much to having you guys listen to this. I am very excited. It was a thrill and just a fun, fun conversation. We took a lot of different directions with this one. Um, Not necessarily what we expected, but oh, was it great. Uh, I I think it was was, was excellent to, uh, to be able to speak to them about The Simpsons as well as other things like politics and so forth. So... Buckle in. This is going to be a fun one for you. Please welcome onto the show Jay Kogan and David Anthony Higgins, our guests this week on the OldManTreasures.net conversation series. My guest today is a legendary Simpsons writer who, with his writing partner Wally Wolodarski, wrote such classic episodes as Bart the Daredevil, Lisa the Greek, which is timely since Super Bowl Sunday is upon us, and Last Exit to Springfield. He also had successful writing stints on such shows as Frasier, Everybody Loves Raymond, and Malcolm in the Middle. Jay Kogan, how are you today, sir? Uh, I am super groovy. Cool. Awesome. Um, Now, we knew that when booking Jay, uh, this was going to be a bit of a gamble, seeing as how he is a Californian and I am a Cradle Iowan. Um, Now, there is a risk that at points during our conversation we would be separated by a common language. Uh, Listeners here in Iowa might be confused since we have a regional vernacular that's going to put a real hitch in our giddy-up. There are some phrases we use in Iowa that they just don't in L.A., such as, you know, that truck needs snow tires, or, wow, what a genuinely nice person with no ulterior motive of career advancement. So to translate, we've brought in a man who knows a little about both areas. He was born and raised in Des Moines, graduated from Roosevelt High School, uh, which is down the road from where I used to live. And he made his name on the TV show, The Higgins Boys and Gruber. You know him as Craig from Malcolm in the Middle. Uh, More recently, he's played uh, Harry on the hit CBS show, Mike and Molly. It's my pleasure to welcome in our translator, the man who's going to bridge this conversation, David Anthony Higgins. How do you do, David? Great! <laughs> Super. That's that is the enthusiasm I'm looking for. Uh, so you let's know, get... people in Iowa we tend to just not be that verbose. That's true. Yeah, that's that's a very good point. We uh we we aren't as effervescent in our in our in our language. That's true. So, um, I'll, I'll, here's my first question, Jay. So, you um, you first dipped your toes into the world of TV writing uh, there at the Tracy Ullman Show. Now, how in tarnation did you get hired for that show? Uh, how did you get schnookered into eventually writing for the crudely drawn filler material on that program? 
what you're talking about, Dave. He's saying, how'd you first start writing? Oh, okay. Um, I first started writing uh, in the true show business way uh, by the fact that my he's dad a was a dad. He, yeah, he's a legacy. He was forced, so they, they uh, had to allow it. You're a trust fund writer. Right? Yes, exactly. Um, so, so uh, do you have something like that in Iowa where, uh, like, where parents sort of guide their children into careers? Uh, yeah, I think the Brandstad kids are going to be in politics here any time now. Um, and then, I don't know, I think uh, <laughs> Elijah Wood's kid is uh, probably going to be uh, a big-name star, too. Yeah, we've got we've got legacy kids, that's for sure. It happens, yeah. I'm usually in trucking. <laughs> but, <so laughs> My dad would sadly I, disagree I, with that. And listen, Jay started out from the bottom on the Tracy Elvis show. He was a, weren't you a, a runner on that show? Well, I was a runner. I was I was a PA on uh, It's Gary Shanley's show, and it's Gary Shanley. Yeah, It's Gary Shanley show. And then I got one of the producers of It's Gary Shanley show to look at my material, and then he also had been working on the Tracy Ullman show at the same time. His name was Sam Simon. Later went on to create The Simpsons. And Sam uh, works uh, presented my script to the executive producers. And, and then uh, they 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 uh, it was my where we Wally and I. Worked, uh, wrote, wrote a few spec scripts. They showed it to the executive producers. They said, "We'll take a chance on these guys to pay them the least amount of money to write one one sketch." And so we did. And they said, "Oh, this sketch isn't horrible. We can hire them to write lots of sketches that we'll fix up later." And that's what they did. So they like the cutting edge right away. They the model for how they came to show business from then on. That was yeah. <laughs> that was when they had the revolutionary idea not to pay writers all that much. Yeah, Fox kind of started that, and then uh, everybody else jumped on board. Well, I mean, why why the, why stop a successful at model? The, it's true. At the time, however, I will say, uh, getting paid the least, splitting the least amount you could possibly pay a writer was incredibly so better. You heard it now. Yeah, yeah. No, but uh, no, no, at that yes. For me, they got the writers. Uh, staff writers get paid more now. Than they did back. Yeah, then. and no, However, there aren't any there aren't any staff writers anymore for that very reason. Uh, that's not true. We have staff writers on my, my new show. I have staff writers. You? Good for you. Yeah, but it's very rare. Most people are producers. Yeah, but no, it's, it's just it's the way to make it cheaper. Producers cost yeah. more. Yeah. yeah. So they just so, kind of no, producers work per episode and not get paid per weekly. So they, it's almost kind of like a, a mercenary type thing then from a writing standpoint? Or? Oh, when he, I think everything's mercenary. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You get paid to write, yeah. yeah. I've written stuff with Dave. Not necessarily in the cause. What's that? We've written together. Jay and I have. And we, we continue to threaten to write together. Yes. Yeah, you guys, uh, you guys wrote a few things together. In fact, uh, I believe... Uh, you wrote the wrong guy, is that right, Jay? Uh, the movie that uh, Dave uh, Dave was in. Dave, Dave Higgins and Dave Foley and I all wrote it together. Wow. Yes. Now, how are that was gonna get us making films, and then it didn't happen. Right. right. <laughs> it got you making film. Well, what happened was Jim Carrey. Tell me about Jim Carrey. Well, I mean, he loved the scripts and wanted to do it, and if. Jay and Dave 
and I had and said, we kind of want to be in it, uh, we'd probably be big uh, movie writers now. That's exactly right. Uh, yeah, because uh, Jim Carrey loved the script at the time. Uh, my manager at the time was Jim Carrey's manager. Um, and Dave and I both said, well, we want to be in it. Uh, so it's all Foley's fault. <laughs> that one I'll put on Foley. That failure's on Foley. Yeah. Uh, the other ones are on, on Jay and Wally. Right. Um, that was, we did some shows. We did a pilot. Well, we had never got to make our pilot. We wrote a script for a, a, a sketch show for Fox together. Yes. And then we, we did a live performance of it for the network. And then the network, yeah. Uh, that was <laughs> A live perform now. Do you, um, uh, Jay? You have a lot of experience writing for, uh, of course, both animated and live action. What what dynamics are different when you're writing live action versus animated? Well, the great thing is that you can write anything at all, and they'll actually draw it. Whereas uh, in a real life show, you have to worry about things like, well, does it cost money to build a set, and how many actors are there, and is this stunt too dangerous, or will it cost too much money? To- you know, you can write interior volcano, lava flows freely as a mad scientist works uh, on a steel island in the middle of the of the uh, uh, flaming pit. And uh, that's really hard to do in a live action uh, TV show. Right, you get to the set and go, I ha- I thought that right here I had a dinosaur dancing the Charleston. I don't see why that is right. nowhere near here. Right. It, it wouldn't get that far either. It's like somebody will be between the time he can write freely in animation, like, you know, and then in television or movies, they'll go, we can't do that, we can't afford to do that before it even gets to a point. Uh, you know, you can also do what's, what's wonderful is you can do a cutaway, you can do a line or a joke in a brand new environment that doesn't right. exist, and it costs no money, whereas in, in the TV uh, show, you know, for it yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. A TV show, you try to use the same sets, because it costs money to build a set. $20,000 to build a brand new show. Well, I, uh, I imagine that, I mean, you know, you both were involved in Malcolm in the Middle. If I had my druthers, that show would still be on uh, to this day. Frankie Minas doesn't look that much different than he did when the show was on. Um, how, how was that writing room as opposed to, say, The Simpsons? How much, how much fun was it to be a part of that and throwing ideas around for, you know, um, real life uh, 10, 15, 20-year-old kids and, and the annex they'd get into? I mean, David can also comment on this. I, I felt like not in the middle, almost as much of a cartoon as The Simpsons in many ways. That's it's a good very point. Cartoony, yeah, many ways, yeah. I think it's like just the way the camera moves, yeah. heightens, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I, I think that the, the writer's room itself, the dynamic was different because um, the, the Simpsons uh, was led by a guy named Sam Simon, who was really kind of an interesting. Uh, oddball genius. He died recently, but he was a, a very interesting genius, oddball, crazy guy. And uh, we all were young kids who thought we could do anything we want. Uh, not when Lou was led by a crazy, oddball genius, other guy named Lou Boomer, who uh, filled the room with older writers who by that time knew our, we couldn't do whatever we wanted. We were supposed to do what he wanted. So uh, uh, the show which was wonderful, is truly the vision of that one guy, Lilith Boomer. Whereas The Simpsons was sort of a melange of a lot of different ideas. You know... That's that's beautifully put, Jay. Beautifully put, I agree with that. It's interesting because when you mention how 
cartoony Malcolm in the Middle is, one of the things that was nice about The Simpsons is that there's no limit um, to what the stereotypes on that show can do. There's no limit to uh, Mr. Burns's age and wealth or um, Homer's stupidity. I mean, he'll he can be slower than molasses in January any any moment, um, and then he can kind of snap back in and almost be cognizant of the world around him. And that's just something that I think is true on Malcolm in the Middle, too. There was no limit to Malcolm's intelligence, no limit to, um, you know, the, the dynamic of, of being, a, a, like, a, a, almost not a mean-spirited, but just a, the kind of mother that Jane Kaczmarek was in that show. Is that something you guys were aware of while you were writing, that you kind of had that freedom with it? Or is that something that you would look back on later and go, that was, that was very special? Dave, uh, define the slower than molasses in January for me, will you? Very slow. In, in January in Iowa, it, uh, it's in the 20s to, to 10 below. So, but wow. oh, it's already flows slowly. It even flows uh, further. Oh, for God's sake. In California, in January, yeah. here it flows the same year round. Yeah. Yeah, it's 70 degrees always. And we have a molasses flowing free. Molasses a lot faster. Yeah. 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 Uh, uh, your, your question, which is, uh, there's, there's no limit, I think. The, the I, limit, I agree. Yeah, yeah. There, there are limits, right? But also, just taste-wise, like how far is it to go for the you know? And not in the middle. How mean can one of the brothers be to the other brother? Like exactly, how much torture can you can you submit? Well, the and certainly, Linwood had limits. He yes. had specific ideas. He would say that this character would not do that. Lois would never do that. Uh, Hal would never. Do, I mean, he. He knew their limits, and there were specific limits. Whereas the Simpsons, you could have one episode where, uh, you know, he, you know, it used to be that he never knew who Homer was, right, uh, Mr. Burns, Mr. Burns, you know, which was a funny running gag that he'd never recognized him from the week before, you know, or, right. Uh, but the other well, thing is, we we had limits on the Simpsons too about exactly how dumb, you know, how the house. Who could the Homer be? How, how brutal could Art be? At what point are we hurting the, the, the affection? Like we, we, our limit was, we believe that Homer, no matter how stupid or selfish, ultimately loved his family. So when we went over the line to that, uh, then we'd have to pull back. Uh, and how much could Marge put up with, you know, the, the other, how thin he was for how incredibly fat he was. As our right, exactly. fat or two. Um, he was only 200 pounds. Like, I don't know who these writers were. <laughs> uh, <laughs> an incredibly fat 200 pound man. Uh, no. Uh, right. To, to Greg Martin, no. a gargantuan 200 pound human being. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, later on, he got bigger. Like, people realized. But I remember early episodes him stepping on the scale and being 200 pounds. And you go, what was he, you know, four foot? <laughs> he was also only 36 years old or 35 or something. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Because all the writers were 20. Yeah. 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 So he just thought that was the oldest thing in the world. Oh, how could a man ever have children at that age? Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's... Oh, my God. It's like 85 degrees. I just stepped outside. It's like 85 yeah. degrees out. It is it's 18. There's a, there's a bank next to my house uh, with the temperature on it. It is 18 degrees here. You can't oh, even right, see the molasses see, move. Can I, I, I was saying this the other day. It's like I remember the kid that, you know, first of all, trying to find out what correct time was. 
you drive around the banks, and also the temperature. Like your most cars read it now, or your phone shows it. But when we were kids, I remember like driving around, go look, hundred and one degrees, or negative twenty, or you know, yeah, waiting for the radio to tell you the correct time. <laughs> exactly. You just you just listen to uh, to the radio for a while. Eventually, every twenty minutes, they'll tell you what the what the temperature is. Yes, you had to have some kind of tag it. Out there, even the you know homeless people have iPhones. They can tell you what the temperature is and time at any moment. It's true, and actually, the homeless out here actually have lovely homes. That's the uh, real irony. That's what. Yeah, if you don't have a home of a certain size, you're considered home. Yeah, yeah you're considered homeless if you rent. Yeah, it's like a four bedroom is like the line. The line. If you have a four bedroom, then you have a home. Right, home less just means your home is less nice than what it's less. It's less value than others. Yeah, yeah so <laughs> that dynamic has changed a little bit. We do have homeless here. And of is... course, you know, a, a closet in a home out here is about a half a million. Right. You have to buy a, one closet. No, yeah, my my friend, uh, he lives in a little one-bedroom here, and he looked up what a house of his dimensions and everything would be out in California. I mean, he almost swallowed his tongue. It was unbelievable. It's worth like 60000 right. Right. You can't well, get a nice apartment for that. Uh, yeah, but I'll never, I will never go to Iowa. I don't think. Jay, I will oh. take you there. We can write a movie and want a base there, and we'll get something yeah. from the states. Yeah, I'm afraid they voted for Ted Cruz. I'm afraid to go. No, 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 no. Oh. The, the, the people who participate in the caucus, yeah, voted for Ted Cruz. On the Republican yeah. side, which is no, not that Democrat many people. Democrats voted for him. Yeah. No. Yeah. Very, very few Democrats. The, worst, the Republicans have the worst group this year than ever in the history of Republicans. Yeah. No, it seems pretty bad, but still, that's the one they picked. No, I was. Well, th- it was. They didn't give it to Trump, which was, you know, <laughs> they're all a joke. It's like, you know. What's bizarre about the, the political right? yeah? What's yeah. What's amazing about the political pool this year on the Republican side is that you could throw out a bunch of crazy names of people. You know the the chief from Carmen well, San Diego. Could be a, yes, he could still be a yeah. You could just say a fake name. Yeah. And they go, yeah, I vote for him. And then, and but the thing, the sad thing is, Trump fits right into any any of the craziest names you could possibly imagine of real people, and yet he's one of the front runners and. He's probably going to win New Hampshire. Talk about talk about us being crazy voting for Ted Cruz. <laughs> New Hampshire is going you know to what, put their You know what, We don't know. I mean, it's like, it's so nuts. And and, and I got to say that um, as weird, we're always weird. At the Iowa conferences, they're always weird on the Republican side. It's always much more conservative than the general. Mm-hmm. But on the Democratic side, we pulled out guys like Jimmy Carter, who came from nothing and became a candidate. You know, right. We've also picked the regional guys who are, you know, Missouri senators or, uh, you know, that type of thing. But there's a tendency on the Democratic side to pull these people out of obscurity and give them a little bit of mail. You know, talk about the differences uh, in region between Iowa and California. Here, the the story of the caucuses, even before the night of, was Bernie Sanders. Um, he struck a real chord here with uh, with, oh, with yeah. college students, of course. I don't know how big he is out in the, there in California. Do you guys feel the burnout there, or, or what's the what's the dynamic? Well, what's definitely. The... He's got a lot of followers in California. There's a, okay. there's, what bothers me, I'm a big Bernie supporter. Okay. And what bothers me is the people who say he's unelectable, and I think he's very. I think there's people who would love to have him in office. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, what's true and has always been true is America loves old Jews. 
So that's true, especially in, in California. This is a troll. Oh, Jesus. Right. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I don't know. I, I think he could be uh, elected based on his uh, cry of... We would have a change plan here. Here's the other thing. We were having the same conversation about Obama, right, uh, you know, in 2008, that it was impossible if Hillary was the de facto, uh, you know, that there's no way to elect a black guy. And Obama wasn't was, a socialist. <laughs> No, he's much more centrist, but I, I think the message is out there. What surprises me is how he has, the people who follow Bernie are passionate. The people who follow Hillary, some are passionate, definitely, but for the majority, it's like, I think she's going to win, so I'll support her. It's interesting. Yeah, not that kind of excitement. It, it surprises me, because if you look at the Democratic side, and the Republican side, too, it looks like, I mean, fringe is a, a, almost a, a negative connotation at this point. Um, it's almost derogatory to say fringe, but you look how far away from the center um, electability is getting. Like, for example, Clinton was much more centrist, I think, than Obama was, and then he fell a little bit oh, more on the left. And now you're getting to Bernie Sanders, who is far more left than uh, Obama was. By the way, next up on All Things Considered, we're going to have Paul Begala. Uh, but right now I'm talking to right now I'm talking to Jake Hogan and, and David Anthony Higgins. <laughs> um, well, let me just say one more thing about the politics on that end. It's uh, the idea that the press also says stuff like that. You know, Rubio's views, any of the Republican candidates, they're so far from what real people believe in. Mm-hmm. But their core followers agree with them. But no, you can ask the average American how they feel about uh, abortion or Social Security or, you know, they're really the ones that are radically off-center. But we we report them as being, these are pe- speaking to the people, you know? Yeah. Definitely. Well, guys, I, I don't want to take up too much more of your time. Um, I do appreciate very much the conversation. Thanks so much for... Uh, uh, being on with me today, Jay Kogan um, and and David Anthony Higgins. Thank you guys again so much for the for the great conversation. Is there anything parting words? Anything you guys want to say, David? Anybody here in Iowa? Oh, hey everybody, Jay, say hello to my family and friends. Hi everybody. Uh, we Californians love Dave Higgins probably as much as you do. I think a little more. He's a, he's a great representative of uh, of your uh, home state and your. Uh, place and he, he makes me think that, uh, that actually I would be a wonderful place to go well thank you for being proud of uh, of your heritage uh, being from the land where the tall corn grows appreciate that very much David and Jay um, such a right. pleasure thank you guys both take care thank you alright take care guys bye well there you have it that was a fun talk with Jay and David hope you guys enjoyed it um, don't forget to check out oldmantreasures.net our podcast, So What Have We Learned This Week, the podcast we do, uh, myself, Mark Von Onen, West Coast, West Cozad, West, West Cozad, and Travis Chernis, that is now on iTunes, so you can just look for that, So What Have We Learned This Week, subscribe, and the new episodes will just show right up on your phone or uh, however you absorb iTunes. My name is Joel Fry. Thank you guys so much. Don't forget one last thing to mention. Uh, on March 19th, we are going to be at the Vaudeville Muse $5, Mark First, and the Gimme Gimmies. It is a stand-up show. Uh, myself, Mark, 
and Wes, and a couple other great comics, uh, Clifton Antoine and Justin Bulver. So check that out. You can go to oldmantreasures.net for more details on that. My name is Joel Fry, and until next time, thank you so much for enjoying the oldmantreasures.net conversation series.